G'day, and welcome to My Favourite Album. I'm journalist and filmmaker Jeremy Dillon, and each episode I'll be talking to a different guest about an album they love and how it's influenced and inspired them. My guest today is a singer, songwriter, harmonica player, New York Times best-selling author and fashion model. While she now calls Nashville home, she still embodies the spirit of an iconic era of rock and roll New York, which comes through strong on her latest album, Bearing It All, Greetings from Nashbury Park. Bibi Buell, welcome to my favorite album. I'm happy to be here. Hi, everybody. Um, so, what is your favorite album? It's Damn the Torpedoes by Tom Petty. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. So this album came out in 1979, and normally my first question on the show is, how did you first encounter this record? But if I'm remembering right, you actually, your first encounter with Tom Petty probably predates this album coming it out. It does. I was one of the lucky people who was in the audience at the bottom line in um, 1977, when it was not completely full it was a sparsely attended show he did a couple of nights there and it was the one time in my life that i've actually met bob dylan too because he was backstage and the backstage of um the bottom line very tiny and he was sitting on um an equipment box bob dylan was and i was sort of standing there to watch sort of from the side which i opted to go into the audience afterwards but bob dylan offered me his his equipment case he said he said bb would you like to sit down and i i said oh no thank you you know thank you very much but i think i'll stand it which which was kind of uh, surreal for me when i was 12 years old highway 61 revisited kind of changed changed my dna a little bit along with everything else that was happening musically at that time but anyway to make make a long story short i was in the audience for this show which i i say on my meter of my top 10 shows it was definitely one of them it it was insanely incredible and i remember turning to my friend going this guy's gonna be huge <laughs> it's very funny what an understatement right yeah <laughs> and you were ahead of the curve because i guess in 1977 it wasn't obvious to everyone that he was going to be huge well i think some people knew he was a prolific insanely talented songwriter but uh, I don't think it had done its full click yet. I think it was this album that really nailed it for him. Um, I remember Grace Slick also came backstage at the 77 show, which was um, interesting. She went back to tell him how good he was. So she was one of the first people to, to know about Tom Petty, too, which is interesting. 
Well, there you go. It was you, Grace, and Bob Dylan. Yes, exactly. You were the early <laughs> at, at one show. We were the ones. <laughs> yeah. Well, so this, as you just sort of mentioned, this album was kind of the make or break in a way for for Petty and for the Heartbreakers after those first two records where there had been you know, great songs that people know, like American Girl and Breakdown, but there hadn't been that big breakthrough record. And it was either going to be this record or it, it might not have I think happened. this was the defining moment for him because he had left his comfort of Florida and had started exploring and touring and seeing a lot. You know, when I first met Tom Petty, he was very Southern and very innocent and very sweet. And I could see, oh, my God, you know, the wolves are going to get him. But then he turned out to be a lot smarter than that. There there was something inside of him that had a survival instinct. But of course, like a lot of people that can't handle pressure when it gets to be that crazy, you know, he did at a later point in his life turn to drugs, which is horrible and sad. But it never stopped him from being one of the greatest writers. In my opinion, he's one of the greatest songwriters that ever lived. He's right up there for me with, others that I I put in that same genre. But today we're here to talk about him, so I'm not going to tout my others. Okay. (laughs) So we get to Dan the Torpedoes. It's 1979. What was your first thoughts when you heard this record? Had you heard... Like Refugee before you heard the full album? What well, was I your... think Refugee was the hit. I mean, well, there were so many. But I think, and even The Losers, Shadow of a Doubt, I, it, they, they all, Don't Do Me Like That, that was so radio friendly. And I've sung that with the long players, which was a real high for me. And um, I Need to Know is not on this album, which is one of my favorite Tom Petty songs. And I've also done that one live with the long players, too for his tribute after he passed away. But I think the song on this record that did it for a lot of us was Here Comes My Girl. There was something so romantic and profoundly simple about the way he said something so beautiful. It was just perfect. It's a perfect love song, I think, anyway. You know, sometimes, I don't know why, but this old town just seems so hopeless. I ain't really sure, but it seems I remember the good times with just a little bit more in focus. But when she puts her arms around me, I can somehow rise above it. Yeah, man, when I got that little girl standing right by my side, you know, I can tell the whole wide world that she Profoundly Simple is probably a, a good way to sum up what made Petty so amazing as a songwriter. That's right. He could just say it. Whereas I'm a songwriter and sometimes I know I have to search for my words and and sometimes it's the simplest lyric that will answer your confusion that you're having trying to get your thoughts across. And what was so great about him, he could write like he was having a conversation with somebody in, a, in the room, like he was just talking. Especially, like, that's true on Here Comes My Girl, because that... Yeah, yeah watch your walk. Mm, yeah. Mm. You know, that's like something you'd say to your friend, you know? <laughs> well, I've heard him tell the story of writing that, and he had that, that guitar figure, that chord progression, 
and he just couldn't come up with a melody until he kind of got into a character and just started talking it out, and that's yes. sort of how he got into the the lyrics and the melody. Whatever the his song. process was, it was human to to the extent that it, it, it he it was it was so complex because he was a a, a great wordsmith and and he could and, and rhymer, but yet he could still find the perfect lyric, you know, for something simple. Yeah. And I, I, I'm wondering, like, as a songwriter, because there's an effortless sounding quality to Petty's songs. Yes, absolutely. You, it can take a lot of work to get to something that sounds so effortless. Well, I, I you know, I think working with Iveen, Jimmy Iveen, I, I think that also matured him and gave him the discipline to really hone it in to, the, to almost a perfect craft. He was like a really raw songwriter, and then he started to get so good it was venturing into Lennon and McCartneyville and and other perfections. I, his songs will we'll, they'll, they'll just live on forever, as far as I'm concerned. But I don't know how he did it. it. He just kept getting better and better and better. The songs just kept growing, and I, I don't think he ever wrote. There wasn't a bad one in the bunch. I can't think of anyway. Can you? No. <laughs> and that, which is amazing, considering like the over forty years of putting out records, there isn't yes. a dud song. And he always put the fans first, and sadly, in the end, that's what killed him. Is you know insisting on touring when he should have been resting and taking care of an ailment, and I, it, it's it's tragic, but it's also indicative of the kind of person he was and how much the music and how much getting what he needed to say out meant to him. I, I was wondering about all the songs we've never heard. Yeah. He, and he did have that work ethic, like up and up until the end of like you, that's what you do. You go out no, and Southern you play. boy, you know, you just can't yeah. beat that. You know, I grew up in the South too. You, you start working really young down here. It's no pussy footing around. Yeah. You know, and I think especially like for him, he had obviously a really rough upbringing and he had an abusive father. And I think when he saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show, it was like, this is how you get out. You find some friends, you start a band, you work really hard and you write great songs and that's your ticket to yes. a better life somewhere else. He was a couple years older than me. So I was only 10 when the Beatles came on the Ed Sullivan show. And it determined a lot of my my way of thinking it altered my my future see but it was the seeing the stones on the same show that just nailed it for me i was absolutely convinced and positive that that was my tribe my people my religion and that that was what i focused on and i manifested it at 18 i was in it <laughs> i was submerged and dipped right in it so I think that we do manifest things. I, I think he knew immediately that what he wanted to do. He was very cool. Even when he was very uh, young and, and green, he still had a super cool thing about him. I'm sure he was the coolest guy at, in his town. He dressed great. He had swagger. Well, he had that kind of... And I mean, I'm curious. I've, I never got to see him in the flesh. I'm not sure how yeah. much of this is a thing of his relationship with the camera, but kind of a slouch about him. Sort of. And, and, but it, it was mixed with um, a grand stance, too. He had a big presence, especially when he was young. I think when he got older, he liked blending in with his friends and other people. I don't think he cared so much about standing out. He grew a beard. He kind of hid behind his, 
himself. But when he was young and extremely uh, beautiful, cute, unusual, there there really wasn't anybody that looked like him. I guess maybe Greg Allman a little, but there was a quality to him that he had. He had the great British invasion rock star hair, you know, the yeah. long. And and he dressed cool, you know. He knew he knew what was cool. Yeah, like the cover of "Damn the Torpedoes," uh-huh. the iconic shot of him in like a exactly. velvet jacket, there. just standing there, the red shirt holding Mike Campbell's twelve-string yes. Rickenbacker. Real men wear pink, and that's it's a very pink record. Well, that pink that was my New Year's resolution for this year was to wear more pink. Actually, to what? To wear more pink was my to New Year's resolution. Pink. Well, men should wear pink. Real men can wear pink, and they wear it well. I agree. <laughs> um, let's talk about the Heartbreakers for a minute. Because yes. this is a Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers Absolutely. record. Absolutely. I don't let's not ignore that, especially the Mike Campbell, the great Mike Campbell. Yeah. Who I think I think every prolific songwriter, every great songwriter has you know a a, a partner, a person, a a mate, somebody that they can feed that that's that sauce and that ingredients to to make the soup. And I I I think Mike Campbell He's so understated, one of the greatest guitar players that ever lived, and and a, a wonderful melody craftsman. You know, he could work around Tom's basic and build these melodies and these uh, consent. What, what's the word I'm looking? Concertos, con- con- concertos, concertos. I guess rock concertos. Yeah, and climatic moments, ecstasy, basically through his guitar and. That's the one thing about them. They had the best dynamics. Their dynamics were off the chart. They knew how to really move you through emotional elation back down to being very melancholy. It was an incredible journey. And it was all done through the synergy of the musicians and how they played together. It was really stunning. And there's so many songs. I mean, there's plenty of examples on this record where Petty arrives with like the scaffold. He's got the lyrics and the melody and the rhythm guitar part, mm-hmm. and then it's Mike and Benmont Tench like weaving these. When like, the keyboards interplay. were very essential, they, yeah. you know, it was a very important. My new album is very keyboard heavy, and I was very inspired by early attractions, Petty. You, that sound, that sound that a lot of people are forgetting, the Hammond organ, you know, the, yeah. the wonderful Farfisa, the the wonderful sounds that, that these instruments make. And it was once such an essential part of rock and roll, like the Allman Brothers, the, the, the organ. And, and that, that's another thing I loved about Petty was that he incorporated all that into his his vision and, and, and into his songs. And I tried to do that on my new record. I wanted to bring back a little bit of that sound because I, f- I feel like it's sort of missing on records lately. It's not as relevant as it used to be. A lot of keyboards, but not the kind I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there was like a, maybe a period in the in the 80s where keyboards were misused and then... Yeah, they got all... 
You know, yeah, instead of, you know, instead of that nice, evil, dirty sound that you get from a Hammond. And it just so happens that God dropped the best keyboard player in the world in my lap for my record, Peter um, Gallinari. And he, he has, just happens to be endorsed by Hammond. So we had, we had all the sounds that I wanted on this record. So much of that kind of sound that is in your record and is also on Down the Torpedoes yes. is so timeless. And you can bring it back now without it sounding, you know, like you're throwing back to an earlier era. Exactly. It's just, it's part of the way I hear music. It's part of who I am. It's part of my DNA. And, uh, you know, I think people, people, when they hear things, especially young people that haven't grown up with all this, and they hear stuff like this for the first time and they go crazy. They get so moved by it, and they they start on the scavenger hunt. Retro sluts, isn't that what uh, Mick, <laughs> Mick, Mick, Mick Jagger calls them? Retro sluts. That'd be, that'd be a good band name, actually. <laughs> it would be brilliant, wouldn't it? Yeah. Not very commercial. I, I doubt you'd see them very often on uh, regular radio, <laughs> retro sluts, but, <laughs> but you never know. No, yeah. But um, so now it's becoming... It's it's becoming chic to sort of understand the sound, but still, there's not a lot of people out there making the sound. I think that new band, Greta Van Fleet, they're pretty keyboard heavy, aren't they? Yeah, it's yeah, they're, they're no, kind of like Zeppelin plus yeah, more keys. sort of the way Zeppelin used keys. Yeah, but yeah, it's all that John Paul when Jones. John Paul would move over to the keys. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I get it. Yeah. But you know, in Blondie, there was a lot of. Um, Groups in the 70s and early 80s that really used the keyboard to the best. It it defines a lot of the emotional moments on my record, and I think it defines a lot of the emotional moments on Petty's records, especially this one. Yeah. And I think uh, one of the great things about the Heartbreakers, this version of the Heartbreakers, was that they knew that Mike and Benmont were going to be the feature musicians. Mm -hmm. And then, so then for Ron Blair was playing bass and Stan Lynch was playing drums, it was like, they were really rock and roll and they played great, but they didn't play much. They just played the way a good band plays, when everybody knows their place and what their job is to make the song great. See, what what was on, on display here were the songs. That is what was being sold I guess you would have to call it or say I mean there's so many hits this guy was just an endless well of hits songs people can relate to yeah and he tried to give 
don't um, don't do me like that away to the um, Jay Giles band before Jimmy Iovine like took him aside and said, "What the hell are you doing? Yeah. This is a hit. This has to be on it's your record." A great, it's a great, it's a great song. Incredible. Haven't we all felt like that before? Yeah, that's the beauty of it. Songs all we can all find a time in our lives where we felt that. So when you were first was when this record first came out and you were first listening. Well, I had to already, it. I knew him by then. Yeah. So you know, listening to the record, it, it, it really uh, it struck me that he had been through a lot. There was a lot of turbulence in his life, and he had been through a lot. And I think he, at the time, was marrying um, his sweetheart, Jane, at that time. And they had two children later on and um, two daughters. It's funny. I know they're grown children now. They're grown daughters. It's incredible to see see them as adults now. And so, so you could see that what he was reflecting on, you know, trying to stay in his marriage his his relationship with his wife with the temptations and the crazy of of rock and roll and being on the road and and um what are you doing in my life having stalkers you know people that hound you and follow you and make your life crazy it was he was coming to terms with all that at this point in his his career the, the small town boy becoming a bona fide rock star and trying to keep his roots intact. That's hard for a lot of these guys. Yeah. I always wonder if the song American Girl is actually mm-hmm. about him. Well, she was an American girl Raised up in provinces She couldn't help thinking That there was a little more life Like the, it being about a girl is kind of like a misdirect that feels well, like it could be I about him. I think it was more. I don't think it was about him per se. I think it was more about some of the women that he was meeting, I, I, the the kind of people he was meeting, the kind of girls that he was meeting all over the country, and 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 I think this maybe might not be directed to a specific person, more like a a, a type somebody that he may have met in California or there's something about the song that's very universal and I think that's why so many people love the song because it could be about just about anybody from any city from any state yeah and there's kind of that's a I think a big thing across a lot of his writing his songs even if they've come from something really specific for him they Mm -hmm. are so universal there's always a place where you can put yourself in the song when you listen that's the human element of good art you know, people that can touch other people. 
that is a gift from heaven and it just doesn't grow on trees and writers like this that are able to do that communicate and touch our hearts you know we've lost so many of them and now that david bowie's gone and prince is gone and he's gone these were people that did this better than anybody yeah and bowie was always the one that could put a nice cosmic edge on it so that you'd scratch your head while you were trying to figure out what the heck he was talking about and those were all people who i i think a lot of us thought even though intellectually you know this isn't possible, that they were going to be there forever. Oh, of course. You don't ever, ever think these people are going to die. I have a hard time even watching my some of my childhood idols or people that I loved as a child on television shows as they get old and they die. And I'm very good friends with Bill Mummy. He used to be on Lost in Space. But what a lot of people don't know about him is that he's a brilliant musician. He's not just an actor, a child actor. He was one of the best child actors that ever lived. But he's an incredible musician and guitar player. And, you know, I watch him as he's still with the same wife that he's been with ever since he was 20 or whatever. Wow. His children. And he lives this amazing beautiful life and he's making music now with one of the cowsills uh i think john cowsill on drums and one of the bangles wow. i think vicky peterson it's incredible because i think to myself he should have been a rock star but because he was so known as the kid on you know 20 episodes of twilight zone and lost in space and he grew up as a child actor i mean people don't realize he starred in a movie with bridget bardot when he was 9 you know it's it's astounding his career is amazing and and i and i think to myself i really relate to him because i kind of grew up with him and he's my friend now and so and it's like my friends the Cowsills, the same thing. I knew them since I was fourteen. So we all, we're all growing up together and we're all dying together. And it's life. It's the it's the vicious cycle of life, but it's also the perfect poetic perfection of life. So, obviously, as we were just referencing, um, Tom Petty passed away late last year. Uh, horrible. Bad day. Yeah. What's it been like for you since then listening to um, his music? Well, I keep it on that serious station a lot, the Tom Petty radio. It just plays Tom Petty all day, every day. And for me, the, you know, it was a huge thrill 
they're they've been playing my cover of Wild One Forever that I did on my first EP, Covers Girl, um, a lot. So hearing his version of Wild One and my version of Wild One back to back on the radio has been in incredibly cathartic but it's also reduced me to tears it's it's hard sometimes to listen to some of these songs because there's so much part of all of us pretty much say where you were on the beach or where you were at this party or where you were in your car when you heard a lot of Tom Petty's songs. Let's face it, it's memorable stuff. So it's been very emotional, but but it's also been very joyful. Uh, It's good to know that he's got such a vast catalog that it would take, you know, 20 trips to Mars to wear out his songs. And I wonder if there's any like when I listen to these records now, when I like I, when I was playing down the torpedoes this morning before we did this, it just it it makes you think of it like a time, you know, now so many years ago when he was he he and all the guys were so young and there was and just there was everything ahead still for them. Well, that. I'm not even sure you were born yet when this record came out. I, I wasn't actually. Yeah. So <laughs> this 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 is uh, this shows you the power of an artist like this. That these records are going to be discovered as being new records throughout whatever history your parents pass on to you. It, you're going to be my my daughter was born in '77 and she's a huge Tom Petty fan. But the first Tom Petty song she heard was one that I did. Right. So it wasn't until she was around 11 or 12 that she really started to understand and get into Tom Petty individually as an artist. So people like Jimi Hendrix, there's certain artists that will be sort of introduced if you have good parents. <laughs> they'll, yeah. they'll turn you on to the important stuff. At least I hope they do. And I think now, I mean, Petty particularly seems to have this incredible cross-generational appeal i know so many musicians who are you know younger than me who are hugely influenced by the heartbreakers petty it's like it's like i joke about this at my own audiences it's there's no demographic when you're a certain kind of entertainer when you have a message that sort of speaks to everyone and your energy is not dateable so you know sometimes you'll see somebody on stage and you can't it doesn't matter how old they are or how long they've been doing it or or any of that. None of that matters. They are able to touch people. And that is the gift of the petty. I I think that a good song is a good song. And I don't think it's easy to define it. And it's not a genre, really. It's genre-free. A genre-free zone. (laughs) 
Is there a particular song on this record on Damn the Torpedoes that means the most to you? Well, I did tell you that Here Comes My Girl is Don't Do Me Like That. I can't really, I mean, none of these songs are about me, so I can't really say I have a, a place in my memory or heart. But they're all just too good. They're all amazing. I, I can't pick. Century City is another great song. But Shadow of a Doubt, I, I think, is probably the one that speaks to me the loudest. Okay, why is that? Because it's a complex kid. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> and I think we can all say that. I'm sure some, some people will go, wow, he nailed me. That's what music is. It's being able to listen to something and identify with it. So, you know, when he goes, she's a complex kid. How many women out there are thinking, yeah, I wish my man knew that. <laughs> Thank you, Petty. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess that is that is one of the as- the great aspects of, I'm sure people have this in your audiences as well, but seeing up there and go like, this person who's, who doesn't know me, who's never met me, understands me better than so many people right and this song speaks to them or or this song has a personal meaning for them every that's what great songs do they can mean something different for every different individual different impact different message yeah well on that note bb thanks for talking to me today about your favorite album oh i'm happy to do it and if you want me to come back i'd love to we can do my favorite album muck too yeah, let's do it sometime. What is your second favorite album? Sticky Fingers. Brilliant. Okay, we'll, we'll put it in the books. All right, dear. Thank you. Goodbye, everybody. Enjoy your damn the torpedoes moment. It's an important one. That's it for another episode of My Favourite Album. Thanks for listening. I've been Jeremy Dillon. You can follow me at Mr. Jeremy Dillon. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash myfavouritealbum. Subscribe on iTunes. And if you dig the show, please leave a review. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.